morning. My name is John Lux, and I have the privilege uh, of serving here as the pastor of Antioch Community Church, Brighton. Um, I'm glad that you're here. Um, we are still in our series going through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, this week is the second to last week. Next week will be the last week. Um, and um, you know what happens after the Nehemiah series? Summer officially begins when we finish the Nehemiah series. Some people are like, oh no, it's the summer equinox on June 21st. You know, like that's when summer starts. Yeah, okay, thanks Earth Science guys. Um, no, 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 other people are like, no, 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 no. Summer starts, <laughs> summer starts when we do the Roman series again at Antioch Brighton. And then it starts in two weeks. Now, two things you should get excited about. The first is reading the book of Romans again. Yes! All right? And for those of you who have been waiting for them, the best bookmarks out since the How to Make a Disciple bookmarks of five years ago, the Roman series reading plan has been released. Bookmarks available in the lobby. Thank you. All right. But bookmarks felt a little too tame. No offense. I like the bookmarks, but just like, okay, bookmarks. Um, so this year, we're going to do what conservative Christian homeschool families knew, have known about for decades. Memorizing the Bible. We are going to memorize a piece of the Bible, okay? I grew up in a family that like thought learning things was cool, but like we did not like memorize the Bible. That was like not a thing. Um, but I started running into people who knew the Bible really well, and someone would ask a question like, well, does God love both sinners and Christians? And they'd be like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they'd be reciting some piece of scripture that they memorized to music. And it would apply to the thing. Okay, yeah, that is a nerdy thing to do. We can acknowledge that that is nerdy to do that. But it was also powerful. It was profound. Instead of this person just giving you their opinion, they could recite a piece of the word of God. Right? And we all of us want to get the word of God into us more deeply, don't we? All right? Do sermons change people? Eh. All right? Does the Word of God change people? Oh, yes, it does. And in the same way that I obsessively write important things on this part of my hand so that I will think about them until they're done, memorizing pieces of the Bible, it's like tattooing your brain, okay? You're taking something that you value and putting it in there very seriously in your brain, okay? So we're going to try to memorize Romans 8 as a church, amen? And, uh, it is not just a kid's thing. We're all going to try and do it, okay? Uh, hopefully some catchy music will help us to do that well. Summer. Summer has started when we do that. All right, but we are still in Nehemiah, and we're learning about prayer, okay? The first week, we talked about the idea of a prayer assignment. You know, Nehemiah has someone who comes and tells him that, that Jerusalem has been destroyed, and he receives from God this prayer assignment, this responsibility personally to pray for the city to be restored. All right, the following week, we looked at this idea that effective prayer that helps us learn how to pray is specific. It's specific enough that you would know if it was answered or not, okay? It is fine to pray vague prayers, like I bless Antioch Brighton. That's a great prayer. Uh, but it's not a specific prayer that you learn about how to pray from because you won't know when it's been answered. Now, last week we talked about this idea that when we pray, not every prayer gets answered or answered when we want in the way we want. And so what do we do with the, with the place of disappointment for prayers that have not been answered or have not been answered yet? 
And uh, we focused on this idea that we need to engage with other people in prayer, and we need to remind ourselves of the answered prayers of the past. We, we forget the answers to prayer after about six days, and we hold on to the disappointments for years. And that's not fair to God. We need to be a people who remember the answers that God has given before. And this week, we have an interesting, uh, uh, an interesting piece of the Bible that we're going to preach through. Um, so the great thing about trying to put sermon series together is that you can choose to skip over parts of the Bible. You know, when you read your, when you read your Bible reading plan, you should just read it all the way through and not skip the boring parts, okay? It's not like when you listen to your family's Voxer messages and you're like 2x, 3x, 4x, and you're... Your family members talk really fast and just sort of get the conversation over with. You can't do that with the Bible. You have to read all of it. And the passage we're preaching today is, I kid you not, the ancient equivalent of a spreadsheet. It's just a list of names and responsibilities. Um, Because Nehemiah was an ancient project manager in the kingdom of Persia. And his job was to manage the project of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And the passage we're going through is, I kid you not, an actual, the literal actual document he used to manage the builders of the wall. Who's building, what sections where, right? So column A, builders, column B, sections of the wall, column C, additional information, like whose son they were and other information, okay? Literally a spreadsheet. And why are we preaching from a spreadsheet? I had to ask myself this question this week. Two reasons. Reason number one, the Bible is full of lists of names. You know, it's full of them. Just page after page. Um, so if we're going to really read this book, we need to learn how to read lists of names and still learn about God. Amen? Uh, and number two, it's cool. Um, this list was written in Aramaic, almost the whole Old Testament written in Hebrew. This is one of the sections written in Aramaic. Why? Because it was the language used by the scribes of the Persian Empire. This is the original document in Aramaic. So, okay, great. That's why we're looking at a list of names. What is a list of names supposed to teach us about prayer? What is a list of names supposed to teach us about prayer? Okay. Up to this point, the story works like a biography, like a memoir. Okay? It's like the biopic, biopic of, of Nehemiah's life. This is what he does. This is how he responds. These are the actions that he takes. But then in chapter 3, it shifts gears, and now we have a record of the whole community at large taking on the project as a group united and seeing the walls built, right? Um, we have a tendency to focus on biographical stories. We like the story where the, the young kid grows up to be a great hero because that's how we experience life as growing and moving and making personal choices. Um, we, you know, like everybody lives life through a first-person lens. You can't sort of step outside your body and watch yourself walk around and do things. So it's unavoidable that we retell stories, including in the Bible, as a single person who makes all these choices and makes a big difference and wins the day. Of course we tell stories that way. That's how we experience life, and that's how we retell life. But if we could step outside the frame of our first-person view of life, is that really how it works? Is it really just a collection of heroic people who get things done? Well, certainly lots of heroes in the Bible, right? 
guys like Moses, Ruth and Deborah. It's really just about heroes who sort of took the critical action. I don't think it is. I think the way that change really happens in the world at large and in God's kingdom is when God's people are united and take action together in unity in obedience to God. When God's people are in unity, when they're lined up with what God has asked them to do and they walk forward in obedience, that consistently in the Bible is what really brings forward the good things that God is doing in the earth. Now, I can't discount individuals who did heroic things. That's valuable. You're an individual. I think you're valuable. But at some point, we need to step out of the individual frame, me and my prayer assignment, and step into the bigger picture. All of us and what all of us are called to together. Um, Because this, I think, has something to teach us about God's character, the nature of God. God is God, okay? He doesn't have to use prayer unless he values it for some reason. Why would God choose to walk out, work out his will for the world through people asking him to do it? Right? God is God, unlimited power. God's will is what he wants to do. Seems like a pretty straight line. You know, you could just do it. Because the nature of God desires partnership with human beings that reveals his glory, prayer is one of the primary ways he works in the earth. When we pray and see an answer to prayer, it gives us a revelation of the goodness and power of God. Furthermore, when people who don't even believe in God see us pray and God answers our prayer, they experience a revelation of the glory of God. And that is what God is about. God is about receiving glory from people on earth because he's worthy of it. He deserves it. And so as individuals, right, when we give ourselves to prayer, we pray for that thing God put on our heart, and we see it happen. It gives us revelation. We might forget about it after about six days, but it did, even for that brief moment, revelation. But if that's true on the individual scale, it's true even more on the big scale right? Us all as the church gathered, when we walk in unity and God responds to our prayers, we have this united experience together of God responding to our prayers, and it gives us a revelation of his nature and reveals his glory among men. God partners with human beings, and he receives glory by working that way. Now, uh, some notes on unity. Unity is not conformity. Unity is not do what the pastor says. Um, unity is walking together, knowing one another. And, and let's be serious. Unity is not cheap. It's costly. If you want real unity, you have to have difficult conversations. You have to say when something was not right or not fair. But then you have to be humble enough to listen when the person responds to you, okay? That's what unity costs. But the benefits are powerful. Now, um, I shared it earlier, but when Jesus says that if two of us agree on anything, it will be done. That's huge. That's a big promise. Um, that's one of the things I like about Jesus being God is that he actually says stuff like that a lot. Um, some really big promises. 
that he throws our way. But this is a promise I'd like for us to test out as a church. Could we test what Jesus said? I mean, we don't want to test him in the sense that we don't trust him. But could we try this out? Agreeing in prayer and keeping track of our prayers being answered. And, and this, the beauty of this is it's happening at every level of scale. It's happening, it's happening when you go back to your apartment and there's three people on the couch. If they'll agree with you in prayer, you've got it. All right. So let's take a look here at Nehemiah chapter 3, our ancient spreadsheet of the day. All right, starting in verse 1 here. Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Booyah, all right, high priests, okay? Verse 1, we've got the most important person in the city, the high priest in the temple of God. And he he is in charge of a work crew on a section of the wall. Historically, this is probably the one right outside his office window that he's been looking at for, for years. Um, let's keep reading here. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred. What does it mean that they dedicated it? It means they took holy anointing oil and anointed this part of the wall with it to make this part holy because it adjoined the temple compound. Let's keep going. As far as the Tower of Hananel, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section. And Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasanaah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Mesholam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Baana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work. Ho, 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 all right? So the high priest of God is showing up to lead a work crew on the wall, and the nobles of Tekoa are not showing up. Tekoa is a small town outside of Jerusalem. All right, so what's up with the nobles here? Um, it, the, the people of Tekoa, the honest working people of Tekoa, showed up for this thing, but the nobles did not show up. The literal translation here. It says they would not submit themselves to work on the wall. Either they were unwilling to submit to Nehemiah or they were unwilling to submit to the authority of the Lord. And so they missed out, right? This is like sleeping in on the day that revival broke out at the church. It happened to a friend of mine. Yeah, crazy. He, just, he slept in that day. He missed it. The nobles of Tekoa, the Bible records, they did not show up to build the wall with their people. Let's keep going here. The Jeshonah gate was repaired by Joiada, son of Paseah, and Mesholam, son of Besodeah. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by the men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, oh, we're here, we'll stop there. These are, these are cities all around the outside of Jerusalem. And each of these towns made a pilgrimage in to Jerusalem specifically to work on the wall. All right, let's look at the next section here. Uh, Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. I'll bet that section smelled good. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephaiah, son of Hur, ruler of half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. All right, these are the merchants 
the middle class folks of Jerusalem. They're each also taking responsibility for sections of the wall as we go around. Let's keep going here. Um, all right. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Harumaf, made repairs opposite his house. We got, do we have another baby boom? Harumaf would be a, another nice name. It's got a ring to it. All right. Harumaf made repairs opposite his house. He just walked out the door. He's like, today's the day. All right. I, I occasionally will take on vigilante repairs, all right? I don't do it to civil infrastructure because that's a, like a serious violation of law. But if I'm just around in some shared public space and something is broken, I'm like Harumaf. I'm just going to walk out the door and we're going to take care of it. That wall that I've been looking at every time I come out the door, we're going to rebuild it. Come on, Harumaf. All right, here we go. Made repairs right outside his door. And Hatush, son of Hashabaneah, made repairs next to him. Malkaja, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section. And the tower of the ovens. Yum. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Booyah! Come on, daughters. All right? Now, fun fact, scholars say Probably all the sections of the city were built by men and women working together. This is two kilometers of wall. And there are only 1,500 people in the city. That's the size of the high school I went to. If you wanted to rebuild this thing in any kind of length of time with that few people, you'd need every man, woman, and child to show up for that. Okay? Now, what's interesting is that probably Shalom, son of Halohesh, had no sons to mention in this chronicle. And so they mention his daughters as leading the project with him. All right, let's keep going here. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zanuah. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits, that's like a half a mile, of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malkaja, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hekarem. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Now, um, I'm going to run out of time if all I do is read the rest of this chapter. The rest of it is just like the first part of it. All right? You should still read it. Have you noticed that the nobles, these rulers of Hass districts of Jerusalem, they're showing up for this. They're like, absolutely, I'm there. I'm going to take on my little section of the wall and I'm going to be faithful to it and see that it is rebuilt. Okay? So what does a giant list of names in the Old Testament teach us about prayer? It was everybody. It was everybody involved. The walls were not built by Nehemiah. He just showed up with permission from the king for everybody to get started on what they had been praying for for generations, the rebuilding of the walls of their city. And it was everybody involved. It was the goldsmiths with the perfume makers and the daughters of that guy whose name is hard to pronounce. Everybody working together. It was the nobles, it was the common people, everybody taking responsibility for their section of the wall. And they submitted to the authority of Nehemiah. And got it done. I mean, everyone except for the nobles of Tekoa, right? Let's not be them. And this ancient spreadsheet shows us something important. 
it shows us what happens when God's people walk in unity in God's purposes. They built this entire wall in 52 days. 52 days. And these were observant Jews. So 52 days minus probably seven-ish Sabbath days. All right, it was around two kilometers of wall built in about two months. That's crazy, right? Compare that to the big dig. Yeah, and if any of y'all worked on the big dig, forgive me for this being the illustration. All right, the big dig started design process around the time I was born. And they just barely finished it a couple years after I graduated from college. It took about 24 years to do that project. Do you think they could have benefited a little bit from some unity? You know, do you think some disagreements about infrastructure priorities maybe made that project more difficult to do? Do you think maybe there were competing political groups making that project more difficult to do? When people walk in unity, power is released. Amen? Now, I'm sure there's lots that can be said about the big dig on the social engineering front. I'm sure they could have benefited from cooperation and teamwork. Those things are valid. But I'm talking about a layer of spiritual truth underneath the basic principles of cooperating with people. When we walk in unity with one another in humility as God's people, we don't just get the sum of our parts. We walk in heavenly power that's released when we're moving in the same direction with God. Because when I cooperate with one of you, that's great. That's good. That's unity. But when we're all together cooperating with God himself, heavenly power is released to see God's purposes done. All right, they rebuilt the city walls of Jerusalem. So what, Pastor Lux? What's that big deal? Okay, those 1,500 people building a tiny wall around themselves so they won't get invaded again, that city is about 900,000 people in 2023. That's a lot of people, okay? Faithfulness, faithfulness and unity gets multiplied through time. The impact was multiplied over time. Um, all right. Well, I got a couple other ideas here before we close. The first is power is released by unity. How can you seek it out on purpose? What are the spaces you have that you even can access unity in? All right? When you sit down for somebody, with somebody for coffee and they start spilling out how tough their week was, I want you to sort of just be like, I will pray with you about your week. And the person's like, okay, you're with me. They experience empathy from you, and, and that's a part of unity, right? And when you lay hold of that person's circumstance together, you're fulfilling this thing of Jesus. Two people agreeing on something together, releasing the power of God. All right? That's what our life groups can be for. That's what our discipleship spaces can be for. If you have some random, if you go to the Miracle Mile meeting today, unity, all right? Now, how does this work in the real world, okay? Looking backwards, this church has had prayer assignments, okay? We talked about today this, this response to the foster care crisis, but the same deal. Our, this church needs to respond to the opioid crisis, needs to respond to the homelessness crisis. These are prayer assignments for this church. This church has a major prayer assignment from its foundation that we desire to be a part of the last groups of people in the world to hear the gospel. We want to be a part of that. This mission's call. 
And we want to be part of revival and evangelism right here in Brighton, Massachusetts. College students and young families and old Russian ladies, they need to know the gospel. The Nepalese people who all work in Oak Square, they need to know the gospel. We're a part of that. That's our prayer assignment. I'm going to invite the band to come up. Um, I'm going to share one illustration that I hope you guys will forgive me for. Um, 2011 was the 100th anniversary of Fenway Park. Yay, Fenway Park, okay? And when, on that anniversary, you could spend $275, I looked it up, and buy a brick with your name on it. Tammy, just there, forever a part of, of Fenway Park, right? All right, Fenway Park, that's great. For $475, you could get a big brick. You see, like, the slightly more savings there. The math people, figure that one out. Um, why do people spend money on a brick? Come on, why do people spend money on a brick? Well, they wanted to have a sense of connection with this ancient ballpark. They wanted a sense of belonging with it. That's where their unity was happening. I get that, that's cool. But who cares about that? It's a baseball park. Jerusalem is 4,000 years old. Can we get excited about this? But even Jerusalem, guys, it's just a city. Who cares about that either? Even if it's the city of God. Here's what, we, here's what I care about. I care that the prayer assignments that God is handing out to individuals, to families, to groups of people, and to our church are being pursued by his people in a spirit of unity. All right? Have we said yes to the assignment God is giving us to pray for? Are we showing up for it? This isn't a guilt trip. I'm asking if you said yes to the fun and exciting adventure that God is giving you to pursue in prayer. Have you said yes to it as a life group? Have you said yes to it around the dinner table? Have you said yes to it with your roommates, whatever that thing is that you lay hold of together in prayer? Have you said yes to it as a church? Have we shown up for our section of the wall that is being built as a part of God's purposes? If, if you bought a novelty brick at Fenway Park, God bless you. But are our names written on the bricks that build the city of God in our generation? I want them to be. I don't want to have a failed to swing on it. I want to go for it when that opportunity comes by. I'm going to pray. I want to invite you guys to stand up. Uh, we'll sing one more song before we finish today. Lord Jesus, we submit to you. We're not like the nobles of Tekoa who are too proud. God, we'll say yes to anybody who has a plan for prayer. God, I want to be united with the people in this room. God, give me a humility that makes that easy to do. Lord, would you help us to unite with one another, to care about each other's needs and burdens on an individual basis, and in every layer of belonging and connection, would you give us victory in prayer? Release power in our midst in Jesus' name.